WMRA News. I'm Bob Levicky. Virginia's health care costs continue to rise and residents are paying more in premiums. The Democratic House Speaker votes to advance an abortion bill he opposes to put Republicans on the spot. And as the halfway point for the General Assembly approaches, we review the week in politics with Jeff Shapiro. This is the WMRA Daily for Friday, February 9th. Virginia's health care costs keep going up. Axios Richmond reports that from 2008 to 2022, private insurance premiums and deductibles for both individuals and families went up 89%. That's according to a new report from research firm Altarum on 2022 health spending in Virginia. Meanwhile, the data show that while families are spending more on premiums, private insurers are spending less on services. In 2022, private insurers paid about a third of the state's personal health care spending, and that was down from 36 percent in 2015. The Democratic Speaker of the House of Delegates opposes a bill advocating an abortion ban, but the Speaker voted Thursday to advance the bill. Virginia Public Radio's Brad Kuttner explains why. The bill comes from Bedford area delegate Tim Griffin. Griffin's other near total abortion ban was dumped by a subcommittee late Wednesday, and he wasn't present when his other bill to ban state funds for the procedure was brought before the House Rules Committee, chaired by Democratic House Speaker Don Scott, Thursday morning. Here's House Republican Minority Leader Todd Gilbert, also a member of the Rules Committee, comparing the effort to the federal-level ban on government monies going to abortion. And I don't believe it contains the Hyde Amendment exceptions for rape, incest, or life of the mother. Still, the Democratic majority on the committee, including Scott, voted to advance the bill to the House floor. Protecting abortion access was a key part of Democratic campaign platforms, so why did the most powerful Democrat in the House just advance an abortion-related restriction? Here's University of Mary Washington professor Stephen Farnsworth. It puts Republicans in a tough spot. They either have to vote for this extreme position and then face whatever backlash might exist, or they don't vote for it, and then they run the risk of losing in a primary to somebody who argues they aren't conservative enough. In a statement sent out Thursday afternoon, Scott echoed Farnsworth's theory, saying they wanted all 100 delegates on the record. Democrats in the General Assembly want to tighten the rules around how Virginia changes its voter rolls. Lawmakers are reacting to an incorrect purge of some 3,400 voters last year, as well as Virginia's withdrawal from ERIC, a national data-sharing agreement. Ben Pavier with VPM News reports. When Governor Glenn Youngkin's top election official announced the decision to leave ERIC, election experts and Democrats warned Virginia's voter rolls would become less accurate. Last month, State Senator Skyler Van Valkenburg presented a bill requiring voter data sources Virginia uses to have a unique personal identifier, like a social security number. He says other states that left ERIC... They're using a lot of different data sets, right? And a lot of them are junk. And this is to try to keep that junk out. That bill passed out of the Senate Elections Committee with bipartisan support. On Tuesday, the committee also advanced a bill from State Senator Aaron Rouse. It aims to prevent the improper voter removals of people whose civil rights were restored after a felony conviction. Rouse's legislation would give people targeted for removal 14 days to appeal the decision to their local registrar. Ben Pavier reporting. The General Assembly has advanced legislation to remove tax breaks for the United Daughters of the Confederacy. The Washington Post reports that in the Senate, two Republicans joined all 21 Democrats in favor of the bill. A measure to end the UDC's exemptions passed the House of Delegates last week, but the Senate version was broadened 
to strike two other Confederate-related organizations from the list of Virginia groups exempted from real estate and property taxes. The two bills will have to be reconciled before going to Governor Glenn Youngkin. A delegate from Northern Virginia hopes that state money will help expand electric vehicle charging stations in rural parts of the Commonwealth. And Brad Kuttner has that story. Arlington area Democratic delegate Rip Sullivan drives his EV to and from Richmond when he comes to session, and he knows that drive will get more reliable thanks to millions of federal dollars that will help build charging stations along the I-95 corridor. But what about the rest of the state? As we make this transition in transportation in Virginia, It needs to be all of Virginia. Sullivan's patroning a bill with a $25 million pot of money to incentivize charging station construction for businesses in less populated parts of the state. It's the third year he's brought the effort, and it's gotten bipartisan, nearly unanimous support as it's moved through committees and the House floor. Among those on the other side of the aisle, and state, supporting the bill is Tazewell area delegate Will Moorfield. Moorfield does not drive an EV, he drives a pickup truck, but he said EVs are the future, and state-supported charging stations may eventually help those in his district. Moorfield is also on the powerful Appropriations Committee, so what's the future of state funds to support rural EV chargers in his eyes? It's, it's unpredictable at this point. And if the money does come through, will Moorfield buy himself an electric truck? Most likely I won't. <laughs> But for those that decide to purchase an EV, that's their decision, and hopefully they'll have greater access to charging stations. Those familiar with the bill say a final dollar amount will probably be significantly less than what Sullivan has proposed, but the bill got out of the House Thursday. It's now on its way to the Senate. In Richmond, I'm Brad Kuttner. State lawmakers are hearing from those opposed to a proposal for a new arena in northern Virginia. Virginia Public Radio's Michael Pope has the story. That's the sound of about two dozen opponents of a proposal for the Virginia General Assembly to create a new authority that would own a sports arena in Alexandria. Donna Gelhart came here from Alexandria with an artfully drawn sign. I've drawn a picture of Mr. Moneybucks from the Monopoly game and he's holding a real dollar, real money. You have an actual dollar bill on your sign here. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Why did you do that? Well, I thought it was more effective and I wanted to show money because I think this is real money, you know, coming from the taxpayers of the Commonwealth. Former Alexandria Vice Mayor Andrew McDonald helped organize the rally in Capitol Square. It's an opaque structure, very powerful. It would uh, be able to issue bonds. It would be able to basically control Alexandria's future, if you might, if you want to say that. Control Alexandria's future? Come on now. Well, in the sense that it would, it would provide an enormous amount of money to a developer, to a private developer, to a billionaire to build something that, uh, that it is not at all clear is in the best interest of, of, of either party. Supporters of the arena say it'll create 30,000 jobs, but they have yet to provide details about how they arrived at that number, what kind of jobs are included in that total, and how many of them are existing jobs in D.C. that will be taken by Virginia. Reporting from Capitol Square, I'm Michael Pope. Well, we are closing in on the midpoint of this year's legislative session at the state capitol. Time for some analysis. Jeff Shapiro, political columnist at the Richmond Times-Dispatch, joins Michael to recap the week at the General Assembly. Coming to you from Capitol Square, where right now, down the hill at the bell tower, there is currently a rally going on to oppose the Alexandria Arena. Jeff Shapiro, 
Explain the politics of how the minimum wage and increasing the minimum wage might collide with this issue about the Alexandria Arena. You know, Governor Yunkin, who is pushing uh, for this arena in Alexandria, has also made it very clear that he will veto legislation likely to be sent in by the Democrats that jumpstarts a substantial increase in the state minimum wage. Would that collide with, say, the cost of this project were, it, were approved? Uh, if suddenly contractors were paying a lot more or would be required to pay a lot more for union-covered laborers who help construct this sportsplex on the edge of, of Alexandria. So lots of people are keeping an eye on the arena and, if you will, sort of these related issues, including this promised increase, promised by Democrats, in the state minimum wage. Well, on the topic of the governor, I understand that his tax cut proposal is dead. What's the latest on that? Uh, you know, I don't know that anyone was expecting this to uh, go anywhere. Uh, all of the tax cuts, uh, the tax relief that the governor has uh, been pushing, this would be an, yeah, a second round, uh, dead and buried in the Senate Finance Committee. So if somebody was betting money on a casino deal this year, they would have lost that bet, correct? Oh, yes. It's a fascinating uh, issue uh, as gambling becomes more commonplace uh, in, in Virginia. Uh, there are elements of, of resistance. So, for example, up in Fairfax County, there is this proposal to perhaps a casino there pushed by Dave Marsden, Fairfax uh, senior senator. It's not going anywhere, and apparently to the relief of a, of a lot of Fairfax voters. Also, sports betting, college sports betting, it's died. One form of gambling that seems to be um, on its way to the official blessing of the, of the Commonwealth, these gambling machines that one sees in plentiful number in convenience stores, gas stations, etc. Supporters of those machines call them skill games, but you call them electronic gambling machines. Talk a little bit here about the language around this debate. Uh, well, you know, the proponents of these uh, games, I think, are trying to cast them in the most favorable light. And so they emphasize the, the measure of skill that's required to uh, shall we say, conquer them, ergo skill games. The fact is you're waging money and more often than not, you're probably losing, ergo gambling machines. One last question before we wrap up. So right now there is this rally going on here down the hill at the bell tower to oppose the Alexandria arena. What's your prediction? Is, is, is the General Assembly gonna create an authority that would own this sports arena? You know, that seems to be right now the, the first real point of contact for killing this thing and that it would be killing the new agency that would be created to issue the state bonds that would finance the construction. Uh, there are going to be local elections in places like uh, Alexandria. Maybe that, too, will present an opportunity for the uh, opposition. We have miles to go on this one. All right. Coming to you from Capitol Square, my name is Michael Pope, and we've been joined by Jeff Shapiro of the Richmond Times-Dispatch. Talk to you next week. Have a great weekend. And finally today, the U.S. Forest Service is planning prescribed burns of the George Washington and Jefferson National Forests this spring. 
The Roanoke Times reports that the Forest Service says this type of monitored contained fire helps, quote, restore wildlife habitats, reduce hazardous fuels, and improve forest health. Federal officials, in partnership with state agencies, hope to burn leaf litter and downed trees across almost 40,000 acres in southern and western Virginia. That wraps it up for the podcast on this Friday for WMRA News. I'm Bob Levicky. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy your Friday.